Welcome to Podcasting Tech, a podcast for busy entrepreneurs who want professional sound and appearance for their content creation. I'm Matthew Passi, your host, and a 15-year veteran in the podcasting industry. In this show, we interview podcasters and content creators to learn about the technology they use to make their shows sound and look amazing. We also connect with the people who develop software solutions to highlight the latest and simply greatest tools out there to help you be successful. Head on over to podcastingtech.com where you can subscribe to the show on YouTube or your favorite podcasting platform and join us on this exciting journey to unlock the full potential of your podcast. Welcome to Something in Media, a show that tells the story of successful people in the world of media and what it takes to make it to the very top. I'm Dave Maguire. In this episode, we welcome the editor of BBC Radio Bristol, Jess Rudkin, and we talk about her rise to managing one of the UK's biggest regional radio stations and how that wasn't exactly written in the stars. And say, great news, remember we said, you know, we'd have a job and you could come up. Well, we've got space now and you can come up. And then they nearly fell off their chair when I said, do you know what, I think I want to stay here. And they, were like, and they, they genuinely said, what? <laughs> Local radio, especially BBC radio, is often seen as a bastion of quality journalism, providing a service essential to millions across the country. Jess Rudkin has been responsible for shaping that reputation, not only in Bristol, but in several locations around the country. As we'll hear, Jess was spotted as a natural leader from early on. And despite initially setting her sights on written journalism... She went on to become an outstanding journalist on the airwaves instead, before shaping radio programmes as a producer and ultimately going on to become a station editor. Jess is a prime example of an entrepreneur who gets her ideas heard within the BBC, which isn't always easy to do. Her innovation, management skills and clarity of thought have all contributed to her success and will no doubt continue to help her within the BBC and beyond. But first, we start at the very beginning and get a sense of where her entrepreneurial spirit may have come from. So I grew up in the sticks, properly in the sticks, in a tiny little hamlet, which I think was about five or six houses in the countryside between Evesham in Worcestershire and Stratford-on-Avon, Shakespeare Stratford, famous for the Teletubbies and Shakespeare in equal measure at that time. And family of four kids. So we were pretty much feral, I would say, probably, and the youngest of four as well. So dealt with a lot of ribbing and stuff like that and things like, let's go and play hide and seek. And then they just all clear off and go in for their dinner and leave me hiding because I was the youngest and they could get away with it. <laughs> Do you think that prepared you for later in life in terms of scrapping? <laughs> yeah, the stubbornness. Getting ahead. <laughs> yeah, well, you know what? You fight for your food. You learn to eat fast or you don't eat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, my dad always said, you know, you were from a parenting point of view, he said, you know, you, you're overprotective of the first one. You probably get it right with the second. You're a bit lax with the third child. And I was like, what on earth happens with the fourth? And he was like, they basically bring themselves up. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm sure that's not technically true. I'm sure you did uh, have parents. <laughs> yeah, no, no, it's all good. And so my um, so from a family point of view, my Mum was, as I was growing up, she was working freelance in TV. She was doing sort of research and all kinds of different things. Actually, I remember her doing bits of sound recording and production and what have you. And so she would be away quite a lot because she'd be away on contracts. So she sometimes would be like just back at the weekends and then driving off to, you know, where you're working this week. I'm in Newcastle this week or whatever. So setting off for like long trips on a Sunday night to get back to whatever digs she'd sorted to sort of see her through the job, I suppose. 
and I can actually remember we thought it was really cute and hilarious once to hide in the back of her car as she left thinking she'd think it was really cute if we popped out halfway there and we're like surprise we're coming with you oh my god how old are you at that I think so we must have been god I must well I'm old enough to remember it but like probably sort of like I suppose five or six I suppose I'd remember doing that and of course she was horrified and really irritated because she'd just set off and you know now I understand it it's like actually that's no fun is it driving off on a Sunday night for four hours to start work Monday morning and then your bloody kids pop up 10 miles into the journey and you've got to take them home (laughs) no I bet not so she was a freelance exactly so she was freelance and working sort of contract to contract and my dad is he's a writer and so he would also go from sort of job to job and so money would always be very up and down Mm mm-hmm it made me a terrible freelance when I started because it made me very, I couldn't say no to anything because I remembered that instability of uh, when you've got a job and when you haven't got a job. So you said you were five when you did that prank. Mm-hmm. How much of that do you think did you consciously pick up when you were growing up in terms of that stress being a freelance and the awareness you had of the, you know, I suppose the grown up situation of the realities of of yeah. working in, in media and, and the arts. I think the the tricky thing is you you don't know how much of it you would have had anyway and how much of it you picked up from that. And you only understand things retrospectively, don't you, sort of when you look back. But like I said, it, it did make me a terrible freelance. I remember being really, finding being freelance quite stressful in a sense of kind of thing, oh God, I've got to accept every shift because if I ever say no, then maybe they won't come back and ask again. And... I remember being really relieved when I got my first contract and my first staff job. But then equally, having said that, we're recording this at a point where I'm potentially about to leave the BBC and be self-employed again. And I actually feel really comfortable about it. So I don't know. I'm I'm, I'm 100% sure you're right that some of it came from that, that I did grow up with this real awareness of sort of instability and fluctuating earnings and being really clear when you didn't have any money. I heard a statistic that if uh, if your parents do a certain job or a certain type of shift pattern right. you're more likely to do that growing up because that's what you're instinctively comfortable about uh okay so it probably sent me the other way then yeah Possibly. i get that yeah. i can see that yeah. so but and i think the thing that it does make me realize is i think you know so younger people that i am hiring these days are much more relaxed about coming on and off contract i've had multiple people where i've you know, worked really hard to be able to give them a contract or give them a staff contract or be able to offer them that, which is quite, uh, there's quite a lot of hoops you have to jump through within the BBC to do that. And quite a few of them said, actually, do you know what? I prefer being freelance. And I've always, I still have that little bit of me and it's like, good for you, go you, you know, where I really admire that because, but I know that probably just says more about the insecurities I had at their age than that they have now because it's, things feel pretty different now. Things feel more fluid. Did, did you did you come from a middle-class background and did you have it in when you were growing up did you have a I suppose a conscious thought of wanting to do something that you enjoy was that part and parcel of you know your drive of being in the role that you are now and was it always there in you before you started work yeah it's a great question so I think so in answer to your question about whether did we come from a middle class background I think we came from a sort of first generation educated background in the sense of always state educated but my mum's family were very working class and she was the first person in her family that went to university and I think similarly for my dad but they were both quite cerebral academic intellectual people themselves if that makes sense and quite creative as well so I wanted to write originally I wanted to go into writing features and I did some work experience writing features and I wrote some 
probably terrible little novels and stuff when I was a teenager, which right. So that was your first. I think it's writing. What, that's what I want to be when I grow up, a yeah. writer. Yeah. And did you have a dream job? No. And I think actually it probably was I would use writing the way that I would also use reading. And it was probably less that I enjoyed the idea of writing, but more that I used writing to create imaginary lives. It's sort of escapism, really. So I don't think it was like, oh, I really want to write. I think it was I like this idea of creating other worlds and creating stories. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I remember reading my first sort of topical features in I can't remember which paper it was but a sort of Sunday supplement so the first sort of non-fiction topical issue based stuff and being really affected by it and thinking that writing was amazing it really made me think about stuff. How old stuff. were you at this point? So god I'm going to sound like I really didn't read the news at all until very late but I think I was probably around about 12 or 13 and I read an article so I really liked horses and there was an article that I just came across in a I feel like it was like the Times or a Telegraph supplement and there was a really sinister set of cases going on of people attacking horses. I don't know if you remember it. It was quite a big like crime thing for a while. It was like a spate. Somebody had written an article. It was an investigative article and I can still remember the front cover of it and the and the sort of sub- the title on the title page which said, you know, who is attacking Britain's horses, which is obviously what drew my attention because I wanted to know. I was interested in the story and horrified by the story. And I read this bit of sort of investigative, really well-researched, in-depth article and I thought, oh my God, that's amazing. I want to write that. From that point, I was like, I'm going to be a journalist. I'm going to be a journalist. I'm going to be a journalist. The feeling at the time was do the do your degree in something you're interested in and learn the journalism afterwards. So the plan was to come to Bristol and do my degree and do student journalism. So I did like the student paper and everything and then go to Cardiff to do the postgrad in journalism and go from there. And at that stage, I'd, I'd moved. I did some experience in magazines decided that probably the reality of writing for magazines wasn't all sitting there writing lovely, deep, investigative pieces. So between the ages of 12, 13 and going to university, doing some work experience, did you write in your spare time for uh, magazines or newspapers? Did you do any other work experience? there wasn't really that much. Like I said, we lived in the middle of nowhere. There wasn't Mm. really that much stuff around to do. So I remember, you know, occasionally little competitions would come up, like maybe your school would get involved in a competition to write something or whatever. And I'd do bits and bobs of that, but I didn't really do anything. It wasn't really until I went to university and and there was a student paper and I did it then. Were you still reading quite a lot? Yeah, yeah. So I'd read a lot. I didn't actually consume that much news or topical stuff. So it probably seemed a bit weird when I told people I wanted to be a journalist because I wasn't really a news hound or that like engaged in that kind of thing. But yeah, I would read a lot because there was nothing else to do because we lived in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, but it's uh, it's one of those things where if you do come from, and I've heard this story quite a few times, if you do come from a village or a a hamlet or or anywhere in the countryside I I suppose that you've got an extra drive in you to kind of go to somewhere that's exciting especially when you're young in your 20s and find the action and how so in terms of how you were coping with university and the dynamic were you just in digs locally because I have to say we're in we're in Bristol now we're on White Ladies Road near the student area was it around here and you kind of embracing life 
with your parents at arm's length, shall we say? Yeah, so, yeah, it's literally a stone's throw from here. So my departments were just like a block over from where we're where I'm now working, which is really weird having you know, gone to work in other places and kind of come back. Uh, no, I really enjoyed Bristol. It very much is a university. A lot of the students were very, uh, a lot of the students were pretty wealthy and had had very sort of exciting interesting lives very different from me growing up in the middle of nowhere not not really going anywhere but um it didn't have a hugely kind of I suppose the word you'd use is collegiate kind of atmosphere so like my sister went to Keele which is a very campus university and she still lives on the same street as people that she went to university with it was very much a sort of social bubble all of them like living together on this campus and like you know having this massive university experience Bristol was a little bit more kind of laid back and slightly over it than that if you know what I mean but loved the city and have still have brilliant friends from from my time at uni and really enjoyed my time working on the paper and yeah had a good time and was the paper a social thing too or were you but were you looking at the paper as a as a road to your career I suppose the big question mark lots of people have when they're at university yeah I knew that that's what you do you need to do those things everything was about getting a place on the postgrad in order to get to do journalism so and I knew that because I wasn't doing journalism as a topic as a subject therefore you have you do it as your extracurricular and I can remember actually saying that uh, you know I've been sort of called back to talk to students and from time to time and said that you know what you do around your degree is what will make the difference when you're making those applications so doing the paper we didn't have a radio station at that time so there was only the paper so I was features editor on the paper put some stuff in for the Guardian Student Media Awards and got shortlisted and stuff what for that. Of, what kind was, of things were you writing about? Can you remember? What was I writing? So we, I mean, it was, it's a much more professional outfit these days. <laughs> I'm trying to remember. So the three that I can remember the most, I think are probably the ones I put in for the Guardian Award, just because I obviously remember sort of picking them for that. And I think one of them was quite a sort of newsy piece on actually probably a little bit ahead of its time in some ways on depression and mental health in students with a really strong case study one was about I can't even remember what topic it was but I just remember it having I thought it had some quite funny bits in it (laughs) so there were sort of you know those kind of like sideways swipe at life kind of pieces we would write about all sorts like I say it really was much more professional now than it was we just write whatever we thought we could be funny or interesting about you say that but I think you know if if you were taking a job like that to look at your career in the future you're obviously taking it seriously to a certain extent because you weren't just doing this as a uh, kind of foible as a you know a social club and you also were having to write essays, presumably, at university. So it must have taken quite a chunk of your time at university. I suppose that's why when you talk to students who want to get into journalism or media or, or any profession, what you choose to do that time you're not at university really matters because you're, it, it's saying to the world, isn't it, that I'm actually serious about this, I'm taking my time, I'm putting my energy into this. And I only have a certain amount during the week to to spend. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. And actually what, and I was sensible enough to know, so I was doing an arts degree, right? So actually my contact time was, was much lower than my housemates that were medics and stuff like that. So I knew, you know, I've got, God, you know, four hours of tutorials and five hours of lectures and this many things to read. 
I've got quite a lot of spare time and if I don't do this stuff now I'm not going to do it and so yeah and I had jobs as well so I had to work through uni sort of probably working four or five unions a week. When you were writing articles were you literally going out writing uh, talking to people using vox pops that kind of thing doing proper investigations into certain subjects doing your research behind it I suppose getting things from trusted sources the the kind of thing that if you did work in a national paper you'd also have to do and run things past your editor that kind of thing. Yeah, I think the working on the features side was probably a bit less intense on that in that respect than on the news side. And I think because at that point I thought I really wanted to be a features writer, so features was the right place for me to be. So in that way that actually quite a lot of people do, and there's absolutely nothing wrong with it, when you're starting out and you're you haven't yet quite worked out the skills for how you go from zero on a story and find case studies and and do your research and find that you start from somebody or something you've got access to so either you have an idea or you come across a person and so I think for example the piece that I wrote about depression and mental health at university wasn't because I was especially interested in depression and mental health at university but was that the person who was the case study I think maybe had even approached us and said I think people need we need to raise awareness of this and so I'm like oh brilliant you know there's a start isn't it so I'll write on that and I think what that creates is it creates that it prepares you for news in a way that I always sort of think with news you become an expert on something for a day and then you're an expert on something else tomorrow and you're probably not actually expert on any of it but you get a working knowledge of a lot of stuff by dealing with something different every day because it's either what the news serves up or it's an opportunity that comes up or it's a case study that comes up and so we did that so I probably didn't really do that much I didn't really learn how to actually investigate or stand things up you know in a news sense until I went and did my postgrad. So you moved just across the water can we say to Cardiff I suppose it's not sort that of, yeah, it is, stone's it? Yeah. throw <laughs> away uh, was Cardiff in your sights when you were at Bristol from from the get-go was that something you discovered what year did you join the paper in order to think oh, hang on a minute I need this in my CV to say okay you guys uh, I, I'm, I'm the real deal I'm serious about this yeah good shout so I think I got involved with the paper in my second year as a writer so I was writing features and submitting features. Was Actually, this, no, it pro- was probably my first year. Was this early 2000s we're talking? So this would have been 98 I went to university. And so I think I was writing, submitting features for the first two years. And then I was features editor in my third year. So my choice at that time for postgrad, I knew I wanted to do a journalism postgrad. And I was making the choice between City in London and Cardiff. And because they both had great reputations and I chose Cardiff because I thought it would be cheaper. Um, So when you went to Cardiff, was it just a case of building on those skills and carrying on a good time as a student? Or was it suddenly a bit more professional, a bit more, oh, I've got to do something here? Yeah, I think I definitely approached it in a more sort of not grown up in a sense of that we're immature at university because we're not. But I was like, right, this is me getting ready to get a job. And in a sense of, I I think part of that is because I'd taken a year out before 
going to Bristol for uni and then I took another year out between Bristol and Cardiff and so I was actually a couple of years older than most people right where did you where did you take a year out before and after so I've made them sound really exciting saying they were years out now so no my first year out before Bristol I just stayed at home and got a job to try and save some money for university and so anyway so I did that for a year before Bristol and then between Bristol and Cardiff I went to London I temped I temped in an investment bank ostensibly to save money to go to Cardiff but because I was living in London I basically spent all of the money and went to Cardiff with no money saved whatsoever but I'd had a good time. (laughs) I mean I don't think you're alone there Um, I think am I right in thinking that you're working in a bank when 9-11 happened tell me your thought process at the time what was going through your head? So yeah so I was working for a bank and I was working in an HR department of a bank and I and in that kind of office so this was really pre the time when everybody had the internet on their phones it was because it was wasn't it it was 2001 wasn't it September 11th so you know it was it you were in that slightly weird environment where somebody heard it on the radio because the lady that did the filing had a little radio in her filing office and somebody went from the main office to the filing office and said I've just been in and Maureen's got the radio on and a plane's flown into the World Trade Centre and we were like oh wow god and so it was that real kind of there's a major story happening but you know we didn't have tellies in the office or anything in the way that now you've got God, it sounds like forever ago doesn't it I'm making it sound ancient and So then it was about the flow of information coming in about what had happened and people were getting that information from the radio because we didn't really have any other way to get it. Now, obviously, we were in an investment bank. We had a group of interns who just started with us who'd flown over from New York. Oh, wow. And actually, the bank had a presence in the um, the smaller building between the two towers that collapsed later, which is awful, I should remember what it was, but we had a presence. And not a major one, but we did have a presence there. So we had a sort of a bit of a stake in what was happening, I suppose. And at the time, it was, you know, there was obviously a huge frisson of, oh my goodness, what's happening? And there was an element for me of, like just trying to because I knew I was going to go into journalism trying to imagine what would it be like to be in a newsroom right now when this is happening events like that I mean obviously everybody was glued to the news when that happened but you know major events like that I was already beginning to look at those in the sense of imagining being on the other side of it rather than as a viewer so you were you were an investment bank about to go to do your master's in Cardiff with with this job ideally at the other end of it and you're already starting to think okay if I'm in a newsroom what would my reaction be what could I write about this who could I speak to so I suppose not excited is the wrong word but you were seeing opportunity do you know what I think it's adrenaline right and so uh, physiologists and psychologists would tell you that an adrenaline response can feel like stress or it can feel like excitement the physiological response is actually the same it's about what meaning your thought process is putting on top of it and so I understood the adrenaline behind the story and I think I was I just had that extra element of thinking 
the only understanding I had of newsrooms at that point was newsrooms like you'd seen on TV and in films. And I was like, you know, are they all running around going like, and, you know, not to make light of it in the slightest, but it was just, I think because I knew I was going to do it. Yeah, you're mentally preparing yourself, aren't you? And sort of thinking, oh, wow, you know, the next time there's some kind of major event a bit like this, I might be in a position where I'm doing something about it. And of course, I suppose from a UK point of view, by the time the 7-7 bombings happened, I was producing a breakfast show. And so, yes, I was making, it wasn't while it happened, we'd come off air while by the time we knew what it was, because I think the reality of what had actually unfolded, it was quite slow to sort of evolve through that morning when it actually happened. But I can remember producing the show for the next day and having a sense of right how do you tell this story how do you make the visceral reality of what just happened come alive for people who are a long way away from it but feel violated in a sort of emotional and personal sense mm. so yeah so sorry just to go back to the to the um September 11th thing yeah I think there was a I felt like an outsider in the investment bank because I wa- I knew I wasn't personally connecting with it in the same way that other people were. Is it important to experience as much as you can then in other industries or other walks of life before you get to the place you want to be in, in work? So I learned more about interacting with people, dealing with people, lots and lots of stuff from, you know, from being a waitress when I was 12 and 13 through to all of those jobs I had and working in a call centre and all that kind of stuff and working in a shop and and everything. And then there are things that I learned working as a temp in that HR department in a totally different organisation that have been more useful to me than any management training I've ever had inside the BBC. Let's dig into that a little bit because I suppose it means that qualifications aren't necessarily the be-all and end-all, right? 100% and I say that when I'm hiring, when I hire people, you know, I believe that everything that we do in journalism, in creative industries, in audio, in radio, in TV, in whatever you're creating, all of that you can learn or you can teach. So when you're when you're trying to do it, you can learn it. And when you're looking to hire people and build a team, you can teach it. And I hire or I aim to hire 100% on attitude. You don't always get it right. <laughs> But there is nothing better than as a as somebody who looks after a team and runs and manages a team. If you're recruiting for something or you're looking to fill a, you know, to bring somebody into your team and you see a bunch of people, you know, you sit through a day of interviews or whatever and you find somebody that you're really excited by because you think if this person just gets given the skills and the tools and the time to do stuff, they're going to absolutely fly and they're going to do some really brilliant stuff and they're going to be they're going to be good to work with. That was going to be my next question, actually, in terms of you're you're literally working with these people as well. So you want them to be at the same level of enthusiasm as you are. There's probably nothing worse than having to work with someone who kind of drags it down because the job, although it is fun, I can imagine it's quite difficult at times as well. When you do creative stuff day to day, it, you know, it feels like a first world problem, but it, it is, it's, it's a treadmill if you are, you know, it's all very well having, you know, two or three creative ideas a week, but it's like, actually, well, we've got programs that, and content that we need to make every single day. And so that is, you know, it's, yeah, we're not down a mine, don't get me wrong, but it's, you need, it, it takes application, it takes effort, and it takes a real drive and a thirst to want to have a good idea and to make ideas come through. And actually it's, it's, 
more important. So I've worked in various different parts of the country and different places have a busier news agenda. And so somewhere like Bristol, it would be really easy from a creative point of view to be quite lazy because we have, I have a saying here that, you know, the news gods will always deliver. There'll always be enough stories, but it might not be that interesting. Whereas when you've worked patches like Somerset, where I first started out as an editor where the news agenda is much quieter you know we'd have days where we're like genuinely there's nothing happening tomorrow that we think it's really important we need to tell the audience so what do we think would be fun and interesting to do and just make a program from nothing and that's where the real creativity kind of comes Mm. in but yeah to your point the attitude is everything not least because just being a good person to be around I always say to people when they they want to know what's the secret to doing well in interviews and I was like just put yourself in my position as the person who's doing the hiring what I want to know is what would it be like to have you work here what will the impact be on the content that we make and the output that we make and what would it just be like to be around you 8, 10, 11, sometimes 14 hours a day and for the rest of the team to be around you and so people could come in with a super impressive CV but if you get the ick vibe off them it's really hard to come back from that so you you did you spent a year is that right in cardiff you did your masters i'm guessing that was an intense year of of work experience and writing your own thesis is that right so i did the postgrad diploma rather than the masters so the difference was that it was essentially no no that's all right so it's essentially the same course but if you do pretty much but if you do the masters then you have to write the big thesis Um, and the advice that i had taken was that you didn't necessarily need the masters to get the job what they were bothered about was the the postgrad diploma bit and so I was like well that sounds cheaper and easier so I'll do that without doing the big thesis I've just come out of a philosophy degree I didn't need to write any other big long things and it was brilliant actually so the guys that ran it at the time were real sticklers for good old-fashioned journalistic skills So, you know, lots about writing, lots about the audience, lots about, you know, all the stuff that when you come through a sort of creator route where you've learned to make video or you've learned to make whatever and the side of that that's missing and both of these sides can be taught. But it was brilliant to really get that grounding. So, yeah, we do loads of what we call production days. So, you know, where you're running a pretend TV news programme or a pretend radio station and doing, you know, initially very terrible voice pieces and bulletins and stuff like that. And it was really practical and it was fab. It was really, really good. And then they were also super supportive that obviously their purpose was to, to help you get a job. And they knew that the way that you get a job is initially really is through getting that work experience in place and then hopefully getting freelance work off the back of that. And so... I knew that I wanted ideally so you have a big placement right in the Easter that is sort of three or four weeks and everybody knew that that's your best shot at getting some work because that's your one chance to really show somebody what you can do and I knew I wanted to come to Bristol for that because it was an area that I felt familiar with because of having been here at uni and I think that was probably a lack of confidence thing in a way of wanting to be somewhere familiar because you could go anywhere, couldn't you? But I, it was important to me to feel comfortable. So I wanted to come to Bristol. Were you confident at your own in your own abilities at that time? Or was it just, a, a, a suppose, leaping into the real world work? Yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't confident as a journalist. And I, I think I was normal. Yeah, it was probably, I think everybody probably felt pretty much the same because you've been through this quite cosseted 
environment in university haven't you where you've played at writing features and being a features editor but actually you know it's not what's paying your mortgage or your rent or you know whatever and then this was the first like oh crikey like I've always just intended that this will happen I'll get a job as a journalist and now shit I've actually got to make it happen and that's quite intimidating and I think but everybody goes through that don't they at whatever their stage is in life you know yeah but I think it's nice to know that even people who make it to become an editor of a radio station still go through that that's a normal experience to have going through I presume a competitive process in Cardiff yeah it really was and I think so there was a so the so the guys that ran the course were super supportive of encouraging you to to get your work placements you needed to sort your work placements which was really important because if you can't get on the phone to organize a work placement you haven't got any hope being a journalist it's, you yeah that's well that is true uh, were you targeting newspapers at the time because you no. ended up in Bristol in in the radio department yeah so I had by the time I went to Cardiff I had decided that I didn't want to write features because I'd done some work experience in magazines and I'd realised that actually it wasn't all writing those big important features and what have you it was I was like okay I'm not sure this is going to scratch my itch and I probably would need to move to London to do it which I didn't want to do and so I my next thought was telly and so I went to I applied to Cardiff to do the broadcast journalism which was tv and radio and and a tiny little bit of this new thing called online and I was planning to do tv And then when I got to Cardiff and started actually doing some TV and some radio, I realised that telly is a massive faff. Oh my God, there's so much faff involved. And it just didn't suit my personality of wanting to like write get in get done like just write it get it out it wasn't immediate it was you were part of a huge team I, I well it was still quite a small team but it's just there's just a lot of faffing and there's quite a lot to it that you know if you're making a you know 45 second or 90 second tv piece it takes forever and you've got 90 seconds to tell a story and in the nicest possible way you can't really get into into depth on anything in a 90 second tv piece so don't get me wrong it absolutely has its place of course it does and deeply respectful of all of my tv colleagues sitting downstairs but it wasn't the kind of storytelling that i wanted to do and i just loved the fact of radio you can get into all these little nooks and crannies of things and you can really go into depth and it wasn't it was about so much more than sort of surface news which is what at that stage tv news felt like in that format to me so when you thought about radio was that the first time you'd really decided to dip your toe in because you saw that you could do journalism in 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 the same way but in a more immediate way obviously with journalism and radio you've got to use your voice it's a different skill set how did you feel about that yeah, do you know what? And full honesty here, I hadn't given radio a moment's consideration until I got to Cardiff and it just happened to be on the course alongside the TV that I thought I wanted to do. And it, so in a way it was sort of, I guess, I discounted writing and I discounted TV and radio What was was what was left. And actually in life, that's kind of what happens, isn't it? You set out thinking in one direction and it's this other thing that sort of just comes up quietly alongside us all. I says, oh, hello. And you're like, oh, actually, it's totally about you. It's not about these other things. So I was really lucky to sort of find it in that way, I think. And it meant that I spent, and probably to be fair, that's where a little bit of that lack of confidence coming out of college and, and into getting a job came from, because suddenly then I was in when I was starting to do stuff in the BBC and we'll talk a bit more about that in a second but when I was starting to do stuff in the BBC I was around all these people who were radio nerds and radio geeks and would talk about how they'd been obsessed with radio since they were children and taking little radios and hiding them under the duvet so they could listen to them and I was like you know I literally didn't give this a moment's thought 
and I felt like a bit of a fraud because that I was like, oh God, like should not not should I be here, but just okay, but oh, this is kind of weird. I'm not sure I I'm not sure I have that that you guys have, and is that okay? And what I found subsequently, of course, is you know when I now talk to people coming into the industry and I share that and I say you know I would sit in training rooms this very training room sometimes that we might be doing a training session in I'd say and people would come in and talk about how they'd been came out of the womb listening to a radio and and I was like oh my god that wasn't me and I literally only found this and I felt like a little bit of an not an imposter in that sort of traditional imposter syndrome sense but felt a, a little bit fraudulent and you can see the relief on people's faces when you admit that sometimes because they're like, oh God, it's all right, isn't it? It's like, yes, of course it's all right. It doesn't matter how you find it. And I've got people who, you know, one of my most creative and important reporters now on the radio here in Bristol, I originally hired into Somerset. He'd been working as a plasterer and he's now our politics reporter and he's super creative, very into his politics, very intelligent, very bright, does an amazing job came to it after doing a bunch of other stuff and was a plasterer at that point amazing um so paint a picture then in terms of you you applied for bbc radio in bristol so when i was at cardiff they were incredibly supportive of trying to ensure that people were employable at the end of it yeah and so you'd have this big placement that you'd have to do at the easter of that year and everybody knew that where you went for your Easter placement was probably your best shot of getting freelance work or a job out of it. So there was lots of pressure on where are you going to go and what are you going to get? And I knew I really wanted to come to Bristol. And so in order to try to make sure that it was me, knowing that other people would also apply to come to Bristol, I thought I need to get ahead of the curve here. And so I contacted them and asked if I could come at Christmas as well. So that in the hope that they would then put me top of the list to come back at Easter and so I applied to come to Christmas to come at Christmas and came and did some work experience and I can't remember exactly when it was but I remember really clearly being sent out on my first story so I arrived on the first morning and the breakfast show had just come off air and there was a big story had just broken of a double stabbing in part of the city and bear in mind, so this was Christmas, so I'd started my journalism postgrad at the end of the September. So I'd literally done, what, eight, ten weeks of training, having never even thought about radio before. And came in and they hadn't had the morning meeting yet. And I can remember standing next to the news editor at the time. And the chief reporter came up and who'd just sort of come off air from doing some stuff for The Breakfast Show and came to the news editor as I was standing next to her and said, um, do you want me to go down, go out to the stabbing? And she sat there and said, I thought it might be nice for Jess to go. <laughs> and I crapped myself. Because <laughs> I was literally 10 weeks into, and I, had, I, I had no idea, absolutely no idea. But you don't say no, do you? No. Because that would be crazy. An opportunity. That's an opportunity. So I was like, great. I was like, just say yes, figure it out when you get there. Um, so I can really clearly remember that. So anyway. Were people just staring at you, giving you daggers? Or was it just like, yeah, fine, yeah. It's just I think he was, he was a bit... No, he was a really sweet guy, actually. He just sort of went, oh, okay. And then went off and you know, did whatever else. So do you know what? I don't know. I think I was too busy panicking to notice whether there was any sort of negative response. But it stuck with me because I now make sure if people come in on work experience, I think getting chucked in is absolutely the best way to 
I mean, I'd probably put a bit more support around. Well, than this is that, yeah, but, but this is this is the job. If you if you're serious, this exactly. is this is what to expect, and this is what you need. Yeah. You know, there's nothing worse. And and to be honest, I you know I couldn't have wished for better because there was nothing. I went on work experience to some places where you just sat next to somebody and watched them do their job, and I was like, right, I'm getting nothing out of that. Tea making. Yeah, or just, you know, like sit and watch the bulletin and it's like, right, that's brilliant. It's really useful to sit and watch their techniques for probably a couple of hours. I don't need to do that all day. And, you know, shadowing, you do absolutely, of course, you learn stuff, especially if you're shadowing the right kind of person. But I knew that if I wanted to be in a, and it wasn't so much that I wanted to be in a position to get a job. I wanted to be able to do this job so that I wouldn't screw it up when I eventually got to it. So that was my first day. And that was at Radio Bristol. And I did some placement through Christmas and the whole objective of that was to be front of the queue for them to ask to come back at Easter and it panned out because then at the end of it the same news editor who had sent me out on that could have been a complete disaster story on day one said are you applying back here for Easter and I said yes and she said that's great you know we'll we'll be really happy to have you at Easter and actually we might even have some shifts come up before then if you want to do a bit more between now and then so are you living back in Bristol were you renting no so I was still in Cardiff at this point because I hadn't finished my postgrad so then of course so you were you were I suppose in in digs in Cardiff yeah so yeah exactly so I had a student house in Cardiff and I went back um, for in January for the term and says yeah the placement went really well they're really happy to have me at Easter and they might have some shifts come up are you all right to spring me from occasional days to go and do shifts and because they knew the whole purpose of the thing was for you to get a job they were like yeah absolutely so then on those days I would drive over from Cardiff to Bristol to do the shifts <laughs> Welcome back. This is Something in Media. I'm Dave McGuire. And we're listening to the story of how Jess Rudkin became one of the most influential editors on local BBC radio. Before the break, Jess talked about her road to work experience. And now we discover how that foot in the door led to an exciting job opportunity, but not in exactly the way she thought it would. So a job did come up or a contract came up shortly after. So it's probably around about the May time, so a month or so after the Easter placement. And at that time, so everybody's leaving Cardiff at the same time. And we're all mates that have been through this course together and trauma bonded and it's all been really matey. And then suddenly we're all applying for the same jobs and it goes a bit like, oh, great, you're going for that too. Brilliant Uh, kind of feeling, which is kind of awkward, but everybody goes through that. And so anyway, so a bunch of us applied for it and actually somebody else on the course applied for it and got it ahead of me, which was which was nice. But what they said to me, so at that time, Radio Bristol and what's now BBC Radio Somerset were run by the same editor and were very close sort of sister stations, had a lot of opt out content and they shared staff and they'd sort of move stuff between. And they said, you didn't get this contract in Bristol that you went for, but we have got three months in Taunton working for Radio Somerset or what was BBC Somerset. Now actually it was Somerset Sounds then. Um, And if you go down to Taunton for a couple of months, then we'll have a gap come up here and we'll be able to bring you up. So I said, fine. So I'd finished my, I, you know, finished the course and I moved to Taunton for the contract with a bit of freelancing. So for those who don't know, that's that's quite a change of scene, change of pace, right? Because Bristol 
at the end of the day, it's a it's not a huge city, but it's a city. Lots going on. Taunton, different kettle of fish. Yeah, d- definitely different. I don't forget, I grew up in the sticks though, so it's fine. So I've got the full gamut. So I'm quite comfortable from a sort of lifestyle point of view. But yeah, so it was a it was a very small station. It was a part time station in terms of its output. And a lot of the and the news bulletins used to come from Bristol. So the Bristol newsreader would record a Somerset bulletin and send it down the pipe and, you know, sort of 10 minutes before and we would play it out, which led to all kinds of screw ups on air with. Uh, so I think the guy that actually hired me into Somerset was quite new and he had just come from Five Live. So obviously very fast paced news experience and he said on the first day that he turned up to Somerset for his new job having come from Five Live and running this rural shire radio station as he walked in the building they were playing out the wrong news and he thought oh my god what have I done so yeah so it was it was much quieter it was a much smaller team really small team in the sense of you know everything was on a massive shoestring that feels like a sort of contradiction in terms but everything was very much on a shoestring you know everybody worked incredibly hard we did more output than we had people for is really sort of the the vibe of it and you would work crazily over but it had a real sparky attitude about it as a result of that of kind of we can punch above our weight and you know we'll we'll get it done and we don't need loads of people and look at us we can do it which really appealed to me actually just as a kind of atmosphere that's probably where attitude is key because you need that enthusiasm and that work ethic I guess to to create that that sense of right it's it's worth it yeah and we were in this tiny little old house in on the edge of Taunton town centre and many years later when I was not many years later but a few years later when I was running it and I remember a sort of a senior change manager person came in to just sort of look at us for a day for some project that was going on and when he reported back he said it's like a crazy family in a little house and it's like that's exactly what it was like and it was brilliant did did you feel that you know your big brother up the road in Bristol had it all and you were left to yeah of course we did of course we did and actually do you know what that's not that unhealthy but it like creates a bit of ambition doesn't it I think um and so yeah and I you know had obviously been sent to to Somerset to be there for a couple of months knowing that at some point Bristol were likely to call and invite me up because that's what they'd said go to Somerset for a few months and then we'll have a job up here and so I went into Somerset and was like you know I'm going to do a really good job while I'm here I'm going to squeeze everything I can out of it and you know was doing a lot really quickly because it's a tiny team and that's what happens so you get to do a lot of stuff you know there aren't a bunch of people in front of you Uh, and actually I think the day I went down to see them before the job interviews because Bristol and Somerset were kind of you know were were together in that sense so I think I'd been and visited for a day a guest was late and missed their live slot and so I'd literally just gone down to have a look and the presenter said these people have turned up and they've missed their slot but they've come in now so we should get a piece with them so they haven't wasted their trip and we'll play it out tomorrow and you're the only person left can you go and record a piece with them and so I went and recorded a piece with them and that's what happens when you're in a really small team you know you're the only person left when opportunities come up and so you get the opportunities and as a result of that probably about six months in I think it probably was Bristol did call and say great news remember we said you know we'd have a job and you could come up well we've got space now and you can come up and then they nearly fell off their chair when I said do you know what I think I want to stay here 
And they were like, and they they genuinely said, "What? <laughs> right? Um, I think you should think about that some more, and I'll ring you back on Wednesday." That's what they said because they genuinely couldn't believe it. And I get I get that in lots of respects because why would you want to work somewhere where you're really skinny on resources and you haven't got full output and all of those things that on paper make it unattractive but what I'd found was it was a small team with a really with a boss who was really ambitious and supportive and wanted to do good things and I was going to get lots of opportunities there specifically because it was a tiny team with a big attitude I suppose. You you kind of skip past the fact that you were then the boss in Somerset. Yeah yeah you obviously worked your way up, became an editor, yeah. you overtook the boss, and you, but you, you, you found your way back to Bristol. Mm-hmm. How did you know the time was right to eventually go, okay, I've, um, I've got all I can from this role in, in Somerset and I'll get back to the big city? Let me just remember really. So I suppose so the management thing was never on the plan. I didn't have a plan. I've never had a plan. I've always just wanted to keep life interesting. And I can remember my boss at the time saying to me, oh, you'll be sitting here one day. And I was like, I don't think so, mate. Your job looks shit. And and he was like, yeah, some days it is and some days it isn't. Some days it's brilliant and whatever. Why is that? Because I suppose you were doing the job because you were excited about it. You wanted to be a journalist for quite a few years before that, before you went to university, a writer. Did you look at management or the people in the hierarchy higher up not doing any of the stuff that you enjoyed literally just managing people or was it a case of the fact that once you got to a certain point in your career you you had other aspirations in another area no I think what I think the former so I think you go from being when you're when you're a journalist right so when you're a reporter your your day is how can I make this piece or this story as good as it can be It's not that you outgrow that because lots of people don't and the stories get bigger, don't they? So you can just then move on to bigger, beefier ways of doing those stories. But the route that I took, so then from a reporter, I became a producer and it became, how can I make this programme as good as it can possibly be and as good as it possibly can be today and as fun as it can possibly be tomorrow? And then when it was news editor, it was like, how can I make the overall output today? And so just the product got bigger, if that makes sense. And so although... I never planned to go into management. Actually, it was a progression, wasn't it? Because then you're just going from kind of from individual pieces of content to programs to a day of content to an overall station, right? And so actually now that I look at it, it it makes a lot of sense. But what happened was the editor left for another job and I had absolutely no intention of going for it. And there were a couple of people who said to me, you know, obviously you're going to go for it. You've got to go for it. And the thing that made me go for it in the end was I didn't like the idea of somebody else coming in that we didn't like <laughs> or that I didn't like. And so I thought, well, I better go for it because if that happens, then I won't be able to complain about it if I didn't sort of, you know, go for it myself. And was really lucky and had a brilliant boss who took a chance and gave me the station. And I can still really remember the feeling. It was like the first time your parents go on holiday and leave you in charge of the house. And you've got this like combined feeling of, the thrill and excitement of it with this massive fear that at some point you're going to break something and your parents are going to walk back through the door just as like chaos is falling about your ears and you're going to get found out and that feeling probably lasted for you know for like a month or whatever and then then you get past it but yeah so I was editor in Somerset for getting on for for a couple of years and then what happened what happens with local radio editors is you need jobs don't come up all that often right? Because you need somebody to leave. There's only 39 of us across the country. And so somebody needs to move or to leave their job in order for a gap to come up. 
and the idea that that's going to be in a, in a place that you want to go to as well is, you know, there's a really relatively narrow number of variables that will pan out. But an opportunity, uh, the the boss came to me and said, we need somebody to go to Oxford for a few months to look after it because we're waiting for the uh, the new permanent editor to start. But we think it needs looking after for a few months. So could you come and do that? And so I went and did that, which was my first opportunity to do it in a station that I hadn't grown up in and to sort of connect with leading a station in a different way, sort of just coming in at that level and not knowing it inside out, but getting to know it and trying to improve it. Because everything, my whole objective has always been try and leave somewhere better than you found it. And so I did that for three months and went back to Somerset. And then it wasn't about leaving Somerset. It was more that opportunities to progress don't come along all that often. And so if an, if an opportunity comes up, you have to stop and think it might feel like it's a bit too soon but how will I feel if this doesn't come up for another three years you were in Somerset and then you kind of did a, a little foray into Oxford yeah how then did you make your way back to, to Bristol where we're talking via the circuitous local radio habit of going via Northamptonshire so so after I'd been in Somerset for a few years there was then a moment where I think think there must have been a voluntary redundancy round or something and a, and a little gaggle of editors at various stations left and so there was a bit of a sort of shuffling of the deck and some jobs came up in different places and it was one of those scenarios where they say you know we've got these four stations and just let us know when you apply which ones you'd be interested in and which one you want to write your strategy on and but equally which one you're you're comfortable to be considered for and so as a result of that process I went to Northampton to run Radio Northampton and ran that station for three years and then at the end of that three years there was another one of those little reshuffle moments and a bunch of stations were up and at the time the two stations that they were talking to me about were, were WM in Birmingham and Bristol. And I initially planned to sort of chuck in and see which one came out in the mix. I was open-minded about where, or so I thought. And then when I sat down to do my preparation for the board, I felt I discovered I had no... I just didn't have the motivation to do the research for the for the Birmingham job and everything was just drawing me back towards Bristol. Uh, and to make it clear, a board is when you sit Sorry, down in front yeah. of... Um, no, it's, it's, it's an quite, interview. It's an, it's, interview. It's an interview, <laughs> but it's it, in my experience, and please contradict me if this is wrong, it's very BBC in the way that it's... Uh, formalized and it I mean it can be quite intimidating sometimes so I think so they were right so and I think board is is a an anachronism really as in that's what they were always called because you were going in front of a board and so that became the word you know that you use instead of an interview inside but it's these days it's just an interview and so yeah lots of them were quite arduous so actually the 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 board process that I did for Somerset I think had for my original editor job I think had three or four elements to it you know role plays and data analysis and all sorts of stuff and the conversation like the interview conversation and they've got a lot less formal and more sort of open-minded since then that's not to say that they can't be arduous but yeah so I had so an interview but in generally in one of those interviews at that level you need to come with a 10 minute strategy on what you're going to do for the station and so that was the bit that was really indicative for me that the station I wanted to listen to and create a strategy for was Bristol I didn't find myself wanting to do it for the WM job so then I rang the head of region for WM and said actually I'm, I'm going to take it off the list because I think you know for me it's Bristol 
And so I'm just going to put that one down and didn't put a backup. So yeah, so I applied and interviewed slash boarded uh, to come back to Bristol and initially on an attachment. So that's on a temporary basis for, mm, I want to say six or 12 months or whatever. So I was coming down temporarily. So we were, we rented somewhere and we came down and so yeah, came back to Bristol and came back as editor working with you know, people in the newsroom who helped me when I was here on work experience, mm. which is awesome. And actually there was a moment with um, somebody when I was, when I'd first got the job and I was talking to somebody who works in the press office. And when I said, oh, she said, where are you going? And I said, oh, I'm going to Bristol. And she went, oh, is that home then? And I had to stop myself and go, I don't know, where is home? Because I went to say yes. And actually it hadn't been since I'd been at university, but my instinct was to say yes. And then I thought that's a lie it isn't like in in reality on paper it isn't but my instinct is to say yes and so yeah so that's where we are there's a nice um completion about that actually yeah I think so I think when I came here and I was clear when I came here that this would be the last local station that I would want to edit in the sense of I don't think there I didn't feel that there would be more new things to get out of another station there is no other area that I would really want to be there's a real responsibility but there's a kind of weirdness when you you know I always find it when I I found it when I you know was driving into Northamptonshire when I'd taken over there and when I came into Bristol where this is your patch to have this responsibility for this is your city to have this responsibility for and it's it's a kind of a weird feeling well everything you've 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 told me that is literally the case you know you feel that you treat people better because you are going to see them again and you have some kind of responsibility for how the media treats the local population yeah and i feel like you know those of us who work in this you know the 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 media will be here news will be here the bbc will be here longer than we will be doing the job we are the guardians of this role it sounds i use the word wanky again but it sounds really wanky to say you know we are the guardians of that and we are so what you know the language i always use is that i'm looking after the station not in a fluffy patting it on the head kind of way but you know i'm looking after this station for this period of time to do my best for it and then somebody else will come in and do the same thing and we do that on behalf of on behalf of the audience and on behalf of the team and on behalf of the area and the cities and the towns that that we look to serve and that does sound really pollyanna-ish i get it but i think i think that's right because it's bigger than us so you you've been here editing the the station for 7/8 years is there ever a moment that you pinch yourself you know when you think back in terms of Uh, what you wanted to do even when you were growing up I love the fact that I started here as you know as a terrified rookie on work experience and there are people I can still point to in that newsroom who sat me next to them and showed me what to do and that now I work within a different capacity you know I sometimes I can remember walking in through the front doors of the of the building here for those first days as work experience and, you know, being like, oh, my goodness, I'm walking into the BBC and, you know, for that to feel sort of normal. Obviously, it gets really normal really quickly. We all go native really quickly, don't we, in, in that kind of sense. But I think that, you know, we really, we are really lucky and I don't take it for granted. And I understand, you know, don't get me wrong, there's bits about the job that are, you know, you can have shit days and you can have, there are times that are really difficult 
for you know just the same as there is in any job you know because fundamentally you know when you're a lot of it is managing or leading people and that brings the same challenges and issues with it whatever industry you're in and however glamorous or otherwise the the output that you create or the the purpose that you serve looks from the outside some of those issues are the same and you know and people have difficult things go on in their lives and you're a part of that because you have to sort of help and support them through that or manage through that and all of that stuff and it's you know there's shed loads of ridiculous admin and other bollocks that comes with it it's just as the same as there is in any other management role so so there are days where you moan about it but then you you know I and absolutely no illusion that we're completely spoiled because it is it's a gift of a job to be able to do to you know to create content for people and to engage audiences and make programs and decide to go and do crazy things like you know James Hansen just went and walked for 24 hours around the ground floor of the gallery shopping centre to raise money for children I was there for quite a lot of it I didn't do the full 24 hours I did go home and go to bed (laughs) in between (laughs) but to say to do that and call it work because you know it is work don't get me wrong it's hard work but to do that and call it work you know I have absolutely no illusion that that's a real charmed existence and you know in terms of challenges and and doing things I'm right in thinking that you're quite proud of one of the latest things that you've managed to achieve, which is the BBC Upload strand, can I say? Or is it a brand? And where did that come from? Was that your idea? Yeah, so I'm really proud of what we've done with Upload. So in essence, I'd had an idea quite a few years ago now where I felt like getting into the media or getting your creative work into the BBC or any other broadcaster or platform just feels impossible doesn't it when you're on the outside and it's like where do you go how do you know how can you get your script in front of somebody how can you get a foot in the door how can you get somebody just to know that you're there or look at your stuff or whatever and it just seemed like so opaque and impossible and I thought you know we've had for years this thing called BBC Music Introducing where bands can submit tracks to local teams to listen to and then they might make it onto their local BBC music introducing show and then from there you know the some of those acts might make it onto Radio 1 or Six Music or wherever or actually you know maybe even a festival stage and you know there's this whole kind of through flow and there are big names that have been you know uncovered and discovered through that and actually you know the precursor to introducing or a local precursor to introducing actually started here in Bristol before it was a sort of formalized thing in the BBC And I thought, well, that's great for musicians, but we should be that open for everybody who creates whatever they create. And so I had in mind that it would be really cool if we had this way that comedians, writers, vloggers, bloggers, documentary makers, you know, whoever, anybody that created stuff could have a way that they could just submit stuff and it would get in front of somebody and something might happen with it. And wouldn't it be cool if that was a thing? So it was an idea and that was all it was for a while because at the time that I had the idea, local radio was part of BBC News and so a lot of what we were being asked to do internally was very much news-driven and so culturally it just, you know, that it wouldn't have been a thing that would have flown. And then in 2017, there was a, a big sort of scary moment brewing where we thought we were going to lose a load of funding from local. And in the autumn of 2017, the then Director General, Tony Hall, decided to uh, not only to halt 
the funding reductions for local but actually to put a little bit of money back into local and he had this big moment where he said right not only are we not going to make those cuts I'm actually going to give you some money and challenge you to do something interesting with it so I'm going to give you back your local evening broadcasting because our evening shows seven till ten had been England wide as a, as a cost saving measure and I'm going to give you those shows back and I'm going to give you not quite enough money to do it but some money and I'd like you to do something different with it and I want you to do something that engages different audiences and opens us up to new people and I thought right well if that's not an invitation to do upload then it ain't ever going to happen so I was like okay so we're going to do upload we're going to do upload in Bristol and um, I've got just about enough money not quite to to hire one person to present and produce three hours of radio five nights a week i think it's a great idea because as a a creator you can tell that there's going to be excitement because even if it's to introducing or or upload the, the brand that you created to tell people that you, you know you love your friends and family that you've submitted something to the bbc isn't just a a small step right it's probably a big thing in in their lives and to democratize that which i think is a theme in this chat yeah uh, yeah and to kind of make that accessible i think that's that's kind of that's a that's a big thing yeah no i i think you're right and I, and that's exactly the word i would use for it i love that democratize it because what it meant was that you know we would have a way where anybody who makes anything can submit a piece of content and it will get in front of my local producer here and he may well put it on his show my dream was always that it should be everywhere and it should be a proper sort of infrastructure and then we could maybe you know if we spot something brilliant can we become a champion for that person and try and get it in front of other people and get it further on in the BBC and so a couple of things happened so we we launched it in Bristol and I was like right this has to be three hours a night five nights a week because I can only pay for one person and I've got to fill 15 hours of output so it was a big risk but it was you know, and actually I didn't think too hard about that. I rang around until I could find somebody who could build us an uploader, found a guy in design and engineering in London who thought it sounded quite exciting and, and helped us to build one. And off we went. And so it was basically me and a bit of this guy's time, like creating the concept. And then I hired in Adam, who is the producer presenter for it. Um, and it wasn't really until literally a couple of nights before we launched where I thought, what do we do if nobody really uploads anything or they upload stuff and it's <laughs> and it's all shit because i've committed that this is a three hours a night five nights a week show like what like i just hadn't even contemplated that it might fail because right. i was so we need to make this happen and i had this little moment of panic um, but it's too obviously it's too late and i think that's the best thing it's like crack on and panic when it's too late because the die is cast and we launched and, you know, largely thanks to the fact that, you know, Adam worked really hard at it and is brilliant and really gets it and really understood how to engage people in it. It just went from the word go. And of course, of course, if you're saying to creators, here's a chance to get your stuff on the BBC, of course, they're going to go for it. And I think the thing that was really interesting to your point is there were a few people who were a bit like, oh no, people are too cool for the BBC now. They don't need it because they can just put their own stuff on TikTok and YouTube and wherever else they want it. But do you know what? The timing was perfect because those spaces are so crowded. And of course, all anybody who's doing that wants 
is recognition and an opportunity to get on and make a living out of this thing, right? That's what they want and they're finding their way to do it. I I think uh, more than that, I think it's, you know, you can be the most successful YouTuber in the world. You can can have your own, I don't know, podcast, which, which is successful. But I think if the BBC publishers slash broadcast something it's validation 100 percent, completely and, right word yeah and and that is that is something you can't necessarily get through uh the amount of clicks you get through your own channel definitely absolutely and so that you're so right and that's what we really noticed was even people who were you know potentially you would look at and say you, you are being successful in their own sphere it really matters that somebody has looked at your stuff and thought i think this is good and i want to give it some of my airtime or i want to publish it on social so we started in bristol and we had all kinds of huge different range of stuff in and when we got stuff that we thought you know this really has potential we've then you know taken so things like abby clark the comedian uploaded a sketch really early on in that first sort of few months and we were like this is really good so we then would take it and we took it to the guys who run bbc one social and bbc comedy social and we were like would you publish this because we think it's really good have a look at it and they published it and she got her first million off the back of us doing that by putting it on bbc one socials so it's very grassroots upwards and we have to do all the champion because we haven't got the infrastructure in the way that introducing have got the infrastructure so so we've done it in bristol and then about six months in no less than that so yeah so four or five months in there was a moment where the then director general who'd obviously given local back the funding to do it was was coming to visit local radio for a day to find out what they'd done with the money that he'd given in the new shows and so the then director of england said well you did something quite interesting with sort of digital stuff didn't you do you want to come and tell tony about it for 10 minutes and i was like Yes, okay. So um, Adam and I went up to, he was meeting us in Coventry just because it was somewhere central and that's where, you know, so he was sort of there and different people were going to go and see him and get a little slot with him to talk about what they'd done. And I said to Adam, I said, by the end of this 10 minutes, we need him to say that this needs to get rolled out across England. So we went in and we did a little spiel presentation, played him a bit of some, some stuff that had come in. And at the end of the 10 minutes, he turned to the director of England and said, I think this is brilliant. You need to do it everywhere across England. We were like, this is exactly what we heard you were saying. So we'd gone in with this kind of secret mission. And so that will never happen to me again in my career that, you know, you start something, just you in, on a shoestring and a couple of people that are really passionate about it. And the next person who gets involved is a director general and he tells them that it's got to happen. So obviously you've had great success. Uh, you've had challenges you've overcome you've obviously thrived within uh, the BBC especially in Bristol what is it now that you're looking for in a job now that you've had by anyone's definition a successful career is it more of the same in terms of radio or are you looking now now that you've created such a successful brand like Upload in the digital space is it something a bit more broad so I think you know what I've as I said to you at the start and what I've always said you know I've never had a plan everything that I have done has just been driven by I like to keep life interesting and so it's I've always gone where I think I can do interesting things and where I can you know have a bit of an impact and you know I've been in local in BBC local you know pretty much give or take you know a bit of time that I went and spent in um, London on an attachment I, you know, I've been in nearly 20 years now, so I think that it's time to do something different. I think, to answer your question, I genuinely don't know what I'll do next. I think that 
I will be driven by the same thing, which is I just want to make sure I'm doing things that keep me interested and are interesting. You know, if something interesting comes up inside the BBC between now and when I'm due to go in the new year, you know, I'm really happy to, to do something else if it looks fun and interesting and exciting. And if not, I'll go outside and do something interesting, fun and exciting. Or, yeah, I genuinely don't know. And that feels all right. Jess Rudkin and how she became something in media. How has Jess carved out such an amazing career? We'll get some further insight from our in-house careers advisor via our website at somethingin.media. You can glean a deeper understanding of what it takes to make it in the media and even the opportunity to book a one-on-one session. You'll also find a newsletter sign-up via our website. Something in Media is a stable production. And if you enjoyed listening, please follow us by pressing the subscribe button or follow button wherever you get your podcasts. And if you think someone may benefit by listening to these types of stories, please do let them know where to find us. Also, if you enjoyed it, please leave a review. It's always nice to share your thoughts, especially if they're positive. I'm Dave McGuire and thank you for listening.